I'm Trish McMillan, and you're tuned in to Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley Coiner. Awesome. Welcome, Trish. Um, it's so great to have you today um, on our podcast. Um, super excited to talk to you about. There's so many things we could talk about. Um, as with a lot of the trainers that I talk with, we could talk for hours. But, but what I really want to focus on today is a little bit of your shelter work, because the shelters are really experiencing some unprecedented, I mean, we've had full shelters before, but this is a whole different world with um, post-COVID puppies, um, people, you know, having, um, it, with the financial struggles. There's so many reasons that dogs are now in the shelter. So before we get started about talking about shelter dogs, though, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the world of working with shelters. Sure. I walked into my first shelter in Vancouver, Canada in 1996 to be a dog walker. And I became that volunteer. I became the nosy one who was like, why don't we have more dog walkers? Why don't we have a place to bathe them? Why don't we have a yard to throw a ball in? And um, luckily, the shelter manager let us walk all over her and fundraise and get things going. And before you knew it, I was I was an apprentice dog trainer at the time. And it was a wonderful way to learn about dog behavior because I had my one dog at home, but training one dog does not make you a trainer. And I would really encourage any young trainer listening to this podcast, go dip your toe into working with shelter dogs because you will see dogs in shelters that you will never even see in a home. You will see every breed, every type of dog, every behavior problem. And just, you know, getting your hands on lots of dogs is one of the best things you can do. So um, yeah, that, that's how I got started. And then I started taking them home and fostering them. And there's nothing like trying to fix a behavior problem when you're looking at it in your kitchen. And right, right. Labrador source garter and he has just vomited up his dinner and now he's guarding the whole kitchen and I need to figure out how to oh how no to safely manage that yeah yeah so there's, there's nothing like the hands-on work or, or just bringing a shy dog out of the shell that's honestly my favorite is working with the fearful animals mm -hmm. and me too you know seeing the first time they play with the toys seeing the first time they play with another animals see get yeah Theo likes that too Theo likes to interject <laughs> Um, you were never shy though. So I worked with, I worked with, um, lots of shelter dogs. I finished my apprenticeship, moved to San Francisco and started working full-time in doggy daycares. I uh, kept a foot in the shelter world and being a Canadian working in San Francisco, the visa stuff was difficult. So it occurred to me that if I had a master's degree in animal behavior, Nobody could kick me out of anywhere. I could live wherever I wanted. Mm -hmm. And from, from my master's program, just because of all the volunteer work I had in shelters, plus the training, plus so with all of the experience I had with shelter dogs, with training, with doggy daycare, and then the master's degree on top of it, I actually walked out of my master's degree and into a job as director of animal behavior at the ASPCA shelter in Manhattan. And mm. I was not sure I wanted to be on the inside. I kind of like being on the outside and criticizing mm. what the shelter people were doing. <laughs> but it turned out that being on the inside and being able to make the decisions was a, was really satisfying. And they had fascinating dogs. A third of their intake was cruelty cases. I had a team of trainers working with me. I had a cat behaviorist. I learned a lot about cats. I shared the mm -hmm. office with her. So we had lots of feline friends. Um, and 
from the shelter I went and worked on the field team and got to do dog fighting bus, hoarding cases, things like that, got deployed all over the country, which I found really lots of fun. And about 10 years ago, I left the ASPCA and started my own business. And I have been consulting for shelters and training trainers in defensive handling and teaching online. So that is, um, and so just as a quick aside, I want to get into shelters, but I do think, um, you know, where did you get your master's program or master's degree? Yeah, I was, um, well, when I was thinking about doing a master's degree, I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was actually living above Berkeley Humane. Uh-huh. Um, I was not sure what courses to take because I have a bachelor's degree in something completely different. Mm -hmm. So I drove to Sacramento and I took Sophia Yin out to dinner. Oh, wow. Yes. I know. And I said, yeah. If I wanted to get a master's degree, what courses should I take? Uh -huh. And she gave me a list and I stuck it to my fridge and I worked my way through the list. And um, the day I was leaving Berkeley, 9-11 I, I, happened. Mm -hmm. So as I was leaving, I was getting letters from all of my professors and one of them said, oh, you want to do dog stuff? I have Dr. Stephen Lee from Exeter in England. He's here on sabbatical. You should talk to him. And I took him out to lunch right after I took uh -huh. my professor out to lunch had two lunches that day and he said wow you're a dog trainer we, we have to run all of our studies by dog trainers to make sure these are things dogs can actually do he had an animal cognition lab over there and we really hit it off and I went back to Canada and finished the last couple of prerequisites and applied to Exeter and I got in so awesome. I was really go over there and learned in a different country because I'm Canadian it's a little easier to go to school and in the UK, there are now some, that program doesn't exist anymore, but there are now some good UK programs that are online that people can take. So very good. So then back to, I just always, cause sometimes people don't realize that like we do a lot, of, we educate ourselves a lot as dog trainers that work at this level. And, you know, sometimes it's the masters, which is actually one of my goals for once my teenagers get through their <laughs> stuff, because I have to manage them a little bit. And because when I graduated, I have a degree in biology and zoology, but there were, San Francisco had like sort of a program, but there really wasn't, animal behavior wasn't where it is now. So it's a different world. So, because I graduated from college in 96. So when you were starting, I was graduating and working in zoos and, and I became a vet tech because I graduated from vet tech school in 99 and really had to, I always say my path was like all over the place. Like I did not go in a straight and arrow at all. I don't so. know many people that do. I mean, I went from an apprentice dog trainer to doggy daycares and kept mm -hmm. a toe in the shelter world. And when people say, oh, how do I become a dog trainer? I like take three dog trainers and I guarantee, oh, really? There's going to be a different, a different solution for each one, for sure. Well, every, so. All of us find different paths and there's no right or wrong way. There's for sure. To, to get that is for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, so tell me, speaking of, you know, our, our roundabout path of things, how have things changed in shelters? So when she started as that dog walker, you know, you saw, you saw shelters in one light, then you went to San Francisco, which we talked before we were on, on the podcast about San Francisco, Berkeley, that's the hotbed of positive reinforcement training. I mean, it was Gene Donaldson's there, Ian Dunbar's there, um, you know, it is like, um, there was, that was the place to, that really started at this big change, at least in the United States. Um, you know, um, a lot of the pro progression towards positive training. 
but shelters, um, at least from what I've experienced, are a little bit behind that times. But in San Francisco, it was different. So you went from Vancouver to San Francisco and then to what you're doing now. How have you seen shelters change throughout the years? Yeah, there's been a ton of changes. I mean, especially in light of how animals get out of shelters. So back in the 90s, in Vancouver, the overpopulation wasn't too, too bad. We were able to um, find homes for most of the animals, which certainly wasn't the case everywhere, especially not in, in this country. But um, there was no, there were no programs like if <laughs> the ACOs would walk through the kennels and whoever's going rah, rah, rah at the front, that's it. Your days are out over. Mm -hmm. There were not a lot of programs for them. So when we nosy volunteers got in, we started um, advocating. I actually went to a summit at the San Francisco SPCA in 97, 98, back when Avanzino was in charge. And I got a little glimpse of what sheltering could be. <laughs> I went, back uh -huh. and, oh, we have to do all of this stuff. And of mm -hmm. course, we had 1960s chain link kennels. It wasn't mm -hmm. yeah, the little rooms that they had at the SPCA, but <laughs> things have really changed like programming has has changed so much there's so much more enrichment there are play groups for dogs there are foster homes there are just dogs are given a chance now so my first doberman was one of the rah 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 dogs mm -hmm. 99 she was at the front of the kennel going yeah everybody go away yeah she, she was fine with me and i i took her home and she was indeed not a not an easy dog Mm -hmm. seeing how she was outside of the shelter really allowed me to give her a chance and took me a month to get the lawyers to release her to me because she was really nasty in the kennel uh -huh. the guarding breeds are oh yeah 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 I think dogs just have a better chance but on the flip side we've also got um you cannot have your squeaky toy back you're really loud with your squeaky toy <laughs> um, <laughs> On uh, the flip side, we've also, we've kind of gone a little too far in some ways where mm -hmm. we've got the no-kill movement, which, you know, in the 90s was a great idea. If you've got a 30% live release rate, probably 70% of your dogs are not too dangerous to adopt out. That's just, you're not trying mm -hmm. hard enough to buy yeah. homes or you've got too much overpopulation. But um, there are parts of the, of the country and more so in my country where overpopulation isn't so much a problem anymore. They're having to import do dogs, especially cats are pretty good at making more cats. <laughs> yeah. But I think in some places it's gone a little bit too far where shelters are outsourcing their behavioral euthanasia to adopters, which is something I rant about. And I think there's probably a happy medium somewhere. Where yeah. It, it is. It's a huge problem. Cause I'll get, you know, sometimes I mean, when I was fostering, so I don't, as we talked before, I used to foster all the time. I fostered a lot of the fearful dogs before my kids got just too busy with activities and, and my world kind of was too busy. But um, what I would find what, when back in those days, I was an early 2000, I guess. Yeah. Early end of nineties, early two thousands. Um, it would, they were a little stricter too, which I think there was some good to this. If, you know, if there was a bite history you didn't you you didn't adopt those out you know those were in most cases euthanasia and i don't and some of them i don't think probably were necessary but what's happening now that i'm seeing and you i want to hear what you are seeing too is now some of these no-kill shelters that are really strict on their no-kill they're not really evaluating what's the mental 
capacity of this dog? What is the safety of this dog? What's the happiness of this dog? What is, you know, the whole piece of it? I'm getting dogs that come to me privately or, you know, that, oh, well, they bit, you know, four people and then I just got them, but I'm going to make them better. And it's like, and it's just a, it's just a normal dog, you know, it's like, oh, dog owner. It's not somebody who, you know, has something or, and I have kids and it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, and, um, but then Dang, I'll hear only, about, the, only the naive people will take in a dog like that. Like you and I are going to say bit for people. I, you've got kids at home. I've got other animals at home. We're both like, nope. But exactly. Exactly. College kids just got their first apartment and they don't have kids and they don't have dogs. Like those are often the ones that the, uh, the shelter sees them coming and lights up and they're in no way qualified or like it, often we are ruining their, their young lives by giving mm -hmm. them a dog that makes them into a hermit or we're oh, making trainers out of them one or the other. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's really an interesting, um, you know, thing where, uh, you know, now I'm seeing all these dogs where I'm like this dog, but then there's other dogs because they have, <laughs> because they have, um, uh, been pushing these dogs who really, um, are taking up space. They're trying to get them out, but then the ones who are maybe shy, but not aggressive, like, you know, when they are shy, they are more freeze or they flight. Those get pushed in the back of the crate kennel because they're hiding because they're not the raw rars and they don't get adopted, but they're still traumatized in there. But those are the ones that have a better chance potentially to, you know, be better homes. And it is, it's such a hard thing. So what would you say right now? Because there are a lot of struggles, but in, you know, this, what is the, the shelters are struggling with the most right now? Because there's so many things, but what are you seeing the most? Yeah, I mean, it's it's different in different parts of the country, different mm -hmm. parts of the world. Around here, I think the shutdown in spay-neuter over the pandemic has resulted in a population boom, mm -hmm. as well as, as you mentioned, the cost of everything going up, the extreme difficulty of finding a place to live with a dog. I have a friend who called 200 landlords before she found someone who would take her three small well-behaved dogs but three of them um in the area where she lived so i think we could do a lot with advocacy for landlords to be a little more tolerant that would be a great thing yeah um, i live yeah. in vancouver where the landlord only accepted people with pets oh my when gosh that's amazing yeah, when I talked to him about it, he said, you know, if somebody's got an animal, especially if they've got a dog, they are in an apartment, they are getting up to take that dog out three to five times a day, they have to hold, be able to hold down a job to pay for that dog, they're likely to pay the rent on time, and they're likely to stay longer if you allow them to move in with a pet. Mm -hmm. like, there are people who have been in that apartment building for 10 years longer, and he had really figured out this is a bit of a gold mine having a pet friendly apartment. It was a great place to live. I made some wonderful friends there. That is so amazing because I'm, you know, you're in North Carolina, but I'm in California and California, the housing market is just out of control. It's super expensive. Rent is expensive, you know, and then finding a place because houses go so fast. That is a true, you know, problem. Like finding a place that allows you to have your dogs um, or cats or animals that, uh, you know, and that you can get, um, it is a, a bigger deal than people think. And, you know, 
And people will say, well, I would never move anywhere where if I couldn't bring my dog. But what happens to some of these people is they have to get a home. They, I mean, they can't live in their car. And so I think that's a really thing that I don't think we get tapped into as much as how much landlords, you know, really need to be part of this. Uh, and I totally agree. The shutdown of the spay neuter clinics is is crazy. I know so many people who said, I act, my dog got accidentally bred, you know, I wasn't intending to, um, but I couldn't get in. And, and, you know, really, and then there's a lot of new things of people trying to push, don't spay and neuter them if you don't have to, but they're not looking at what we are seeing. Um, and you especially, but I do a little bit with the shelters, this impact that all these unwanted dogs, because of breeders that are just breeding for fun, and the genetic problems, like I was just at a puppy, I have a puppy class. And last night, one of the puppies is a Doberman. Um, and, you know, and mom bred and they bred them, you know, and she said, well, I bred him because I want to be a protection dog. But this is the most is a fearful puppy. So at first he was shy in class. Now I, I had to start managing him because he was starting to get a little more in the fight mode, you know, when he would play and and he barks at everything because he's afraid. I mean, it's total bark back up. But she's like, well, I like that because he's protecting me. I'm like, he's not. And when he's a year and a half to two years old and he's a Doberman, what are you going to do when that fear now goes over the top and it becomes aggression? You know, and and then I started questioning and I said, but they go, oh, but his mom is so sweet. And I go, well, how is dad? And they then they admitted to me that dad is the yard dog and is encouraged to bark and they said and he could kill if somebody came over the fence and i'm like and you bred that <laughs> <laughs> and you bred that on purpose you know and so people don't realize those things and then these poor dogs you go to the shelter and they're just stuck you know in whatever facility it is san francisco is amazing but not all facilities are that amazing yeah and i'd, I'd like to encourage people to give shelter dogs a try because although there have been shifts in population and I ranted about this at length on the functional breeding podcast if anyone wants an hour of me talking about <laughs> why the temperaments of dogs may have changed over the last 25 years but there are still especially if you so if you want to get a really sweet easy dog like the ones that are wandering through the through the frame on this on the video part of this zoom call they go into a shelter that is open intake and that does euthanize her behavior will actually give you the best chance of getting a good friendly family dog who likes dogs who likes people who likes cats mm -hmm. because there are people who think well i gotta go to the no kill sanctuary and get the dog and, and what happens if you have 10 kennels at your at your no kill sanctuary and you're trying to adopt out the dogs, but you never euthanize for behavior. If year one, you get two dogs who are unadoptable and they are now taking up two cages, then year two, you get three more. Now half of your kennels are full of unadoptable dogs. So the longer your, your sanctuary is in existence, the higher the proportion of dangerously aggressive dogs, of feral dogs, of dogs with severe problems that just keep bouncing back to the shelter. But if you go to animal control where they've got to take everything in and this, the little scruffy dog has been walking through the through the frame here, she's 28 pound little mix of a mix of a mix that I got here in North Carolina. 
this dog has been loved her whole life. She loves people. She loves kids more than she loves adults. I bet money she's lived with kids. She's great with dogs, great with cats, great with kids. Bit of an escape artist. I have a hunch. <laughs> she probably jumped that fence or more likely dug under that fence for the last time. And they were like, yeah, we're not paying to bail you out. We're done. <laughs> so I, got, I got an eight month old, pretty much perfect dog. I was there to help with play groups. And there was a fearful dog that they'd asked me to work with. And I brought Theodore, my rock solid pit bull to try to make friends. And he was just a little too big. And I'm like, do you have any smaller dog? Let's bring out a bunch of smaller dogs and see if we get them playing if he sort of joins in which which worked but this was one of the smaller dogs I'm like when does she go up for adoption and they're like in two hours so I was there at the death. so that's another tip on getting a nice easy dog is if you're on the inside if you're in there working play groups and she came out to be tested for play groups because that was the day she was going to get adopted nobody else even got a chance at this dog because mm -hmm. I was the volunteer and I was there and I spotted her. That's exactly how I have, I have my, I have a lab mix and a Jack Russell mix and that's how I got them. They're 11 and 13 and a half now. So it was years ago, but my kids were small, you know, even though I was a dog trainer, even though I worked with, a, uh, you know, on paper, if I wasn't volunteering, they'd say, Oh, you have three small kids. Psh, you can't adopt. And so, but I just started fostering them. So my lab was born at my house because I said, I'll take a pregnant, uh, pregnant lab. Uh, I'll take a pregnant. And so he was born here with his five siblings. And um, then I got the pick of the litter because I was raising them. And he's been, he's been the best dog. And then the Jack Russell was four weeks old when her mom and her sisters came. And um, I got to pick and and I'm one of those people who can go, none of these are going to fit in my family. So you can go to another house and I'll do another litter. Um, and that's how I got mine. So I, that's exactly how I have gotten all my dogs is by volunteering. I get a foster, I get a rescue. I can test them out, figure out if they're good and then move on. And I'm helping as well as I'm benefiting myself. So yeah, yeah. what is, yeah. What are some ways that people can help shelters too? And I mean, you're just, we're talking about that now. Yeah, I mean, the shelter I got Rue from has an Amazon wish list. So every time I'm out there, I'm like, can we add some more collars and leashes to the Amazon list, wish list for playgroup? Because we're using the same ones over and over. Um, can we get some more Kongs? So even if you don't think you're brave enough to step into a shelter, that was something that I got all the time when I first started was, oh, how can you volunteer at shelters? I would be so sad. I would want to take all of them home. And I'm here to tell you, you will not want to take all of them home. I, I would say there was probably one every six months or a year that I'd be like, oh, if I had room in my house, you would still be coming home with me. And sometimes I have room in my house and, and they mm -hmm. do come home with me. But um, there are certainly lots of them where I'm like, yeah, you can go live with somebody else. You are not totally. my style of dog at all. I can live <laughs> while I'm here. So um yeah, shelters always need help with that. Well, starting out dog walking is a great way to sort of get to know the dogs and get to know the culture of the shelter. If you can foster at all, boy, oh boy, that's the, if you're a baby trainer, I fostered 24 dogs in 24 months during my apprenticeship because I'm a bit of an overachiever that way. <laughs> but they were all so different and I learned mm -hmm. so much from each of them. And, you know, 10 of them were a mom and a litter of puppies. So that was a feral mom and a litter of puppies. 
that was a really, really big learning experience for me, um, taking dogs out on hikes. Sometimes you can check a dog out for a short-term foster. If you're like, oh, I don't want to foster, they might leave the dog with me for six months or a year like they did to you. Um, <laughs> a lot of shelters are doing overnight fosters and just taking a dog home and giving them a good night's sleep and telling the shelter, hey, he is perfectly house trained. He held it and held it and held it and went to the door and scratched at the door. Um, he was amazing with my cat here, like Rue pulls towards children, like that's a little person. I really like little person, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Giving them that little nugget of information can help that dog go from a six month length of stay to being adopted that same week. That's a really easy way to help out. And, and the, the dogs just so love being in a home. We used to think, oh, we can't send them home overnight because they'll be sad when they come back to the shelter. But Maddie's Fund just did a study on short-term adoptions and looked at cortisol levels and everything. And it's nothing but benefit. It's all good stuff, even if you just take a dog overnight. And that's a good way to dip your toe into fostering and see, you know, maybe I, sure my personal favorite with dogs, I love mange puppies. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't mind the smell of a mange puppy. They come in bald and itchy and miserable and that medication works so fast on them yeah. and within days you start seeing peach fuzz come in within a month they've got a full coat of hair and you can see what kind of dog they are sometimes you don't even know when you start yeah like, I, find, I find that really satisfying they're usually young dogs and you can put a little bit of training on them and you send them back with hair and house trained and knowing how to sit and stay and come and they'll fly right out of the shelter Yes, for sure. One thing I want to go back to, just so we don't miss it, because it is I, it's something that I don't, I don't remember to talk about very much, is Maddie's Fund. Maddie's Fund is such an amazing way of doing the studies and getting all the things. Um, could you just really quickly just kind of tell people, because that goes along with helping our dogs have healthier, happier lives because of the work they're doing. Yeah, I mean, when I am putting together materials for the Shelter Behavior Hub, Maddie's Fund has a ton of free information. If you are running a shelter or a rescue, they get out there, they do the research. Maddie was a little schnauzer who belonged to a couple who owned a software company in San Francisco. Uh, they actually donated for the San Francisco SPCA, and then they continued on to help shelter dogs ever since. And they, they've been a really big mover and shaker in the shelter business. So anytime I'm like, I'm going to put together a presentation on foster care and I will go to Maddie's fund and I'll look at what studies they've done. I'll look at what webinars they've done. I'll watch the webinars they've done mm -hmm. and I'll bring it together and um, synthesize it with, with material from other places. But yeah, I usually go to ASPCA pro mm -hmm. um, HSUS and Maddie's fund as sources if you are in Australia, getting to zero, G2Z, letter G, number two, letter um, Z or Z, depending on where you live, they have a YouTube channel that has hundreds of talks from all of their sheltering conferences, and they're all free. So a lot of this material is available for free. Yeah. So if you're kind of running a little rescue in, in your own little bubble, and this is how things need to be done, like find out the research that's been going on is one other thing that's really changed since the good old days is kind of gone back and forth. Like when I got the Doberman from, from, they still call it the pound. You just needed 50 bucks and your driver's license and you could take whatever dog you wanted and put it out in your used car lot to guard. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. Right. So we kind of went from that to 
there are rescues who will not adopt to me. I cannot actually adopt a Doberman from a rescue within three states because some of them will not adopt if you have uh, same-sex dogs. So I have one male dog and three female dogs. So I've got one of everything. Uh -huh. <laughs> a four-foot farm fence. Some of them will not adopt if you don't have a six-foot um, fence. They... I do let them run off leash in the forest, not, not until they're trained, but mm -hmm. it's my joy in life. There are rescues that will not. So there mm -hmm. are places that will not adopt to me as a professional dog trainer with mm -hmm. Doberman experience going back to the nineties, I cannot rest. So mm -hmm. Maddie's fund and ASPCA pro and a lot of the shelters look into um, actually HSUS has a really good program called Adopters Welcome and the newer way is to promote a more open conversation-based adoption so <laughs> that college student who lives in an apartment that you're like well you can't have a dog you're a college student and you live in an apartment they're not going to do that forever yeah and they have time now and yeah if you say no to that college student, and I was that college student at one point in 1989, I called and asked about adopting a dog from the shelter. And they said, if you're away from home more than four hours a day, if you're a college student, if you don't have a yard, you can't get a dog from us, period. Don't even bother coming in. So they sent me away in 1989 and I did not step foot into a shelter until 1995. I, I was really put off and... Mm -hmm. The dog that I bought from a breeder because they said no to me. Mm -hmm. um, she did agility, obedience, therapy dog work. She died in my arms at age 13 of mm -hmm. old age. And I just kept thinking, you know, if that shelter had given me a chance, they didn't even ask. They're like, oh, college student, they're out drinking all the time. They don't care about animals. They didn't find out. Like, I was the one who looked after all the animals in our home as a kid. I had my own horses as a teenager. I had. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I'm not like your basic college kid, but they didn't have a conversation. So that's the modern way is, is have a conversation, start with yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't just start with like, try to get a dog for me. No. That's, that's exactly what I, I experienced when I had small kids and I'm like, okay. So it would be like, you're turning away somebody who does this professionally and like, it's all these things and I can't get a a dog but i and then it becomes well do i just go to a breeder because a breeder all i have to do is pay money and they don't and i mean not all breeders are this way but then i'll just get one or then you end up at the shelter where they don't do any background checks at all and because then they had to clear the shelter. my one of my pet peeves is the clear the shelter days that we get every once in a while where they advertise it if you think you want a pet go and they're free or they're like no and then it's everybody gets a pet but then those like the statistics, at least our local ones, is 50% of them get returned anyway. And sometimes after bad things have happened, you know, they've learned bad behaviors, they've gotten hit by a car. So when we've had I'd clear the shelters. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing the statistics because um, the studies that have been done on clear uh, the show. Uh -huh. on free adoptions or fee waived adoptions, mm -hmm. the um, when they've actually run the numbers on most shelters, maybe yours is different. Yeah. It's been around 15% returns. You're going to get that no matter what. They totally. Will go home. They will try to eat the cat. You could, you didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or allergic or they bark all night or wh whatever it is about 15%. And that's, that's not bad. That's better than the that. That is actually pretty good. And like, it could be this one specific, you know, cause it was, we only have one that did it. Everybody else didn't do it. We had one that was a big clear shelter, but that one also has been, 
goes back to the no-kill that you were talking about earlier. And it's been no-kill for a number of years. So there are dogs there when I've looked for clients that I would, they would print out the sheet and it would say how long they had been there. And some of them, I was just like heartbroken because these dogs, and when you went up and you, when you went to those kennels, like you had to be five feet away from that kennel because that dog was at you and people couldn't go in with that dog. That dog wasn't getting walks. It was like heartbreaking. That that could, that could explain. And that might be why they had yeah, there are exactly. dogs who shouldn't have been adopted out. Like, yeah, exactly. I tell you, looking around this this um, household, I have four dogs and three cats surrounding me right now, and yeah. I paid for one of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I the, I bought one cat at a pay what you want yeah um, event. I paid forty dollars for her. That seemed reasonable for a seven year old cat with litter box issues, and um, all of the rest of them were free and. Yeah. They were from various events or the little yellow dog was found on a beach in Puerto Rico. And mm-hmm. some yeah. of them were just like, you're Trish McMillan, please take this dog. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, I think that it is. It's one of those it, things that it, it's, it's in environmental, like each in environment, each shelter. But overall, I'm glad here that the, you know, those are. Yeah, it doesn't mean they're less loved. And what it does do is it opens it opens up a more of a conversation-based adoption. So maybe people who couldn't have got a dog from Doberman Rescue where they're going to come and do your home visit and measure your fence and make sure there's a padlock on it and ask your neighbors if they've ever seen your dogs on an off-leash hike. Yeah. Um, some of the folks who could not get a dog from them and and often those restrictions, they are a proxy for wealth. Because mm-hmm. you've got a fenced yard, you are probably wealthier than somebody in an apartment. But when you say no to somebody in an apartment, you are sending them away from your shelter with a bad taste in your mouth. They may never come in again. They may have children and the culture in that family may be, we do not go to shelters for dogs. I went to one when I was a student and they were terrible to me. So every time you turn somebody away, you're turning away a whole family, never mind their friends, never mind. So um, look, if you're interested in learning more about open adoption, there is a ton of material on ASPCA Pro. And I also really like the HSUS booklet, Adopters Welcome. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have show notes, you can drop that link into. Yeah, that's what actually I'm I'm thinking all that. We're going to try. I'm going to have the Maddie's Fund on the link on here on this podcast. We'll have all of these links on here because um, if somebody is looking for a pet, you know, and they're looking at a shelter, I, I want them to know like real talk, because like you said, sometimes you go to shelters and we have different culture at, we have a, a humane society in my County. We have some smaller rescues in my County that work out, but, and then we have the animal control, you know, in my County. Um, and then we have a lot of rescues that are only foster based. So they don't really have a place. So there's a lot of different in my area. And so, but this podcast could be anywhere in the world. So your space is going to be different. So looking at these links and looking at this resources, gives you a better idea. Like we're just giving you a taste, but you can really dig into finding, because I always tell people go to a shelter first, get rescue dogs. Like let's, unless you have some specific need, you're going to do confirmation or something, you know, but if you're, because like I compete in agility and back when I first started competing, you, it was very hard to compete a mixed breed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now you can, you compete in every sanction, every it's, you don't have to have a purebred anymore. Um, that was a struggle for me way back. And I had a purebred Jack Russell 
that I actually rescued from the breeder because he came up, he, I was pet sitting him and he was getting beaten up by his sibling dog. So, um, I was like, I can't send him back. That's how I got addicted to terriers, um, was because of him. Um, <laughs> but, um, Somebody but, has <laughs> <laughs> but that helped me get into agility because he was purebred, but now I don't have it. I, and I don't have any need to have, I like lab ish and Jack Russell ish, but it's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be the purebred, you know? So I think these links will help people if they're, you know, they're navigating the shelters because every community is a little bit different, you know? Let um, me give you, let me give you one other tip if you are totally. Yes. Them. Because I actually, that was, you were just reading my mind. I was going to say, what is something else people should know before they uh, go no into a shelter? Well, one tip on getting uh, one of the cream of the crop dogs from a shelter is go in on a Friday because Saturday, Sunday are the big adoption days if they're open Sundays. I mean, look at look at your shelter's hours. But if you go in on Friday, they have built up dogs all week that have come in. They're ready for the weekend. You go in Friday before the Saturday rush and you're going to you're going to have a bigger variety at most shelters to choose from. And you can also watch for if they've had a hoarding case and it was all little scruffy dogs and that's what you like, you can, mm -hmm. you can sort of keep an eye on the news, but you'll, you'll get an ear to the ground. If you're volunteering there, they'll be like, Oh, hoarding case is getting released. All the little poodle mixes are going up for adoption on Tuesday. And you can be there Tuesday, 10 minutes before opening time with your paperwork filled out. And I have done this before. Mm -hmm. And, and if you know which dog it is because you've been walking them and you've bonded with them, that's really a great way to get a dog from a shelter. And the other thing that I do is I foster. Mm -hmm. And because I have 24 animals of five species, I can't just grab a random dog and bring them home and assume they're going to get along with all the species. So I use the survivor island technique. So if I bring a dog home, it'll usually be a foster to adopt. And if they decide they really need to eat cats and it looks like something that is going to be too time consuming or too dangerous for me to fix, I can take them back to the shelter and say, great with dogs, not good with cats. Let's look for a no cats home. But the, the foster to adopt or the test drive or the overnight foster can really help you figure out if it's a fit and because I live in a very small place with many animals they really need to be stackable they really need mm -hmm. to get along and what I do is I ask all the other animals does anybody want to vote the <laughs> new baby Doberman off the island and if everybody's like yes me please go then, uh -huh. then that baby Doberman goes to a different home but if they're all like no we really like her or mm -hmm. I think we like her with a little time and some training then um <laughs> Then they and that's why I have a farm where everybody can run around together and I can take the dogs in with the horses and goats and the chickens the chickens walk into the house sometimes. Everybody's like, there's a chicken on me again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I select for that. People are like, Oh, you're such a great trainer. You've got dogs who get along with chickens. Like, no, no, I'm a good picker of dogs. Exactly. Exactly. That's really what it comes down to. And 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 that's just a uh, something I tell Eve no matter what. When I have people who, you know, come to my puppy class and sometimes I'm like, you got a border collie and you're a couch potato. What were you thinking? You know, and, and really knowing, like you said, picking the right, whether it's from a shelter or breeder, but hopefully more shelters and rescues, picking the right dog just, and I, when people say, oh, well, they picked me. And I'm like, but you got to think about the whole scenario. And, and that well, is when personally from friend with you, take a trainer, take somebody who yes. can 
no, let's go get a coffee. Let's really think about this. And if you've got a trainer who knows your household setup, they can help look for a dog with low prey drive. If you've got cats at home, they can help you mm-hmm. look for a couch potato. If you're a couch potato, they can help you find that agility dog prospect. If they know how dogs are supposed to be put together, they can they can help find one who's put together well and has the the drive for food and toys. Like take yeah. somebody with you. I took I took a actually the cat behaviorist I used to share an office with I uh-huh. took when I went to the pay what you want day to get my seven-year-old cat with yeah. problems I was like I need you to talk me down if I'm missing something about this cat just let me know and she yep. did think it was maybe a little too bold she said sometimes that can tip over into obnoxiousness mm-hmm. um so just be aware that could happen and I brought her home and she's been awesome she didn't even have litter box problems it was a house oh. problem it was not totally. a litter box problem yeah. And that's one thing people just really know, need to know like what their lifestyle is like, what they can do. You can find a dog for any of your lifestyles if you want one, but you just have to go in looking, knowing what you're looking for and getting somebody to help you is a great way to do it so that you don't pick, oh, that one picked me. And it's like the wrong behavior personality, the wrong, you know. Um, I mean, don't, don't feel like you have to pick the one off the euthanasia list because yeah. he's been for people like it's okay to rescue a nice dog. I'm here to tell you, I used to take the difficult ones that Doberman was, my first Doberman was on the euthanasia list and I was in my save them all phase. And would I do that again now? Hell no. That dog made me a hermit for 10 years. Totally. I I did. My first dog married was um, on the euthanasia list. They didn't tell me she was dog aggressive. Didn't really see that she was dog aggressive until a couple, you know, a little while in because she was kind of shut down mm-hmm. and I had to, you know, keep her separated. And it was so much work for 14 years. She was a flat coat retriever, oh. you know, and she was loved, to keep that. <laughs> loved people more than anything on the planet, but other dogs. And it would be un- like, it was, uh, it was predictable for me, but it was unpredictable. Other people, she was okay with ma- male intact, like more dominant kind of like she would, but little dogs or females couldn't have her for a flat coat yeah it was really you know and and so she was on the euthanasia I mean I I kept her she I taught me I I mean I'm grateful for her because she got me to step into Karen Overall's um class at a vet tech conference and I was like oh you can do this in a positive way so Sadie even though she was a pain in the rear her whole life um she is the one I I'm grateful for her but that's because of what I do. If my clients, I'm like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's that's what a, makes dog trainers is uh, taking home difficult dogs. But you you don't have to, and it it depends where you are. Like back in my home country in Canada, there's a lot of areas where there just aren't a lot of stray dogs coming in. There aren't a lot of rehomes coming in. They're having to import dogs from the states from other countries, and if that's the case, like you do not have to get a shelter dog. If you have very few in your area, that's, that's what we've dreamed of. That's what exactly. I said back in the day. Like how great is it going to be when we just close the doors because there are no more dogs coming in. Um, and what we hadn't thought about is well, how, how do we keep the doors open if we don't have dogs coming in? So, yeah, exactly. So well, Trish, I am so happy that you were here today with us. I really, I could talk to you forever, but um, this has been excellent information, I think, for the listeners. And um, 
I hope that they come. We'll put the links to your stuff too, because I know you do so much education for shelters and there's so many yeah, things. I so. talk more about Shelter Behavior Hub than I do about the other places, but I do offer um, a shelter dog behavior mentorship, shelter cat behavior mentorship, lots of on-demand courses, tons of stuff on behavioral euthanasia. If you're a, if you're a trainer and your clients are considering be behavioral euthanasia, Sue Alexander and I did a two-part um, self-study on making the decision, which mm -hmm. because it's self-study and they can go through at their own speed has been really helpful to a lot of people who are, who are thinking like. Sometimes, know. I mean, I've had, uh, had to help clients through that before. It's not an easy choice. So, and we yeah, have I mean, a, we have a we, podcast on it because one of my clients was willing to come and, and kind of talk what it felt like and what it was, what it was like to have to go through that. So yeah, and um, well, we, we teach a course for trainers on talking mm -hmm. to clients about behavioral euthanasia, which the next one starts in November, I believe. Great. Well, thank you so very much for being here today. I think you gave so many awesome tips. And um, hopefully now that the world is starting to open up again from COVID and we can start going to conferences and stuff, maybe I'll run into you. And uh, it, since we're on the opposite sides of the country, it's a little <laughs> hard to just go get coffee. But um but maybe we'll get a lunch sometime if we're at a conference together. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to tune us out, uh, turn us down now. But um, if uh, anybody listening has any, any more interest, definitely check out the links that we're, we included here so that you can um, learn more about shelter dogs, because there's so much you can still learn, whether you're a trainer or a pet, you know, person who's looking or even a veterinarian or a tech. I mean, we all need to know if you're working with dogs or you have dogs in your life, you need to really understand kind of the shelter dynamic, One, if, whether you're adopting or you're helping them, because it is shelter dogs sometimes, you know, need a little special extra TLC. So, uh, so well, thank you again for having, uh, for Sarah being here with me today. Thanks for inviting me to talk. <laughs>